My son Jake and his wife Paige are up in South Bend, Indiana this weekend. They are doing all the things that uh, a middle-class couple who's about to have a baby do before the baby's born. Must be nice. I don't remember having that luxury when we were expecting him. But anyway, that's where he is. But thinking about South Bend, Indiana and Notre Dame, they're there for that debacle of a football game that went on this weekend, reminded me of the story of Rudy. Do you know the story of Rudy? Have you seen the movie? I think it's Sean Ashton, Patty Duke's son, if you are old enough to know who Patty Duke is. Um, she had a son, and he made a movie star, and he made the movie, but that, that movie, uh, Rudy, if you don't know this, if you're not a sports person, sports people, we have a list of top sports movies of all time, and for most of us, Rudy is a football movie that's up at the top of the list, and the story is basically that, that Rudy was, was growing, growing up in a family, Roman Catholic family, they were big um, Notre Dame fans, and Rudy's one ambition in life was to play football for the Fighting Irish. Now, Rudy was about my size, which is a big problem if you want to play college football. But Rudy had this dream, and he was working in the, the mills with his, his brothers and his dad, and, but Rudy aspired more. He wanted to go beyond. He wanted to go to college, but not just to college. He wanted to go to Notre Dame, and he wanted to f- play for the Fighting Irish. You know, Newt Rockney and all that kind of stuff. And so he quits his job at the mill and he goes to South Bend and he can't get in Notre Dame. So he goes to the community college and is befriended by a Roman Catholic priest who's really portrayed as a good guy. It's amazing how oftentimes in movies clergy aren't portrayed well. But he's portrayed well and and anyway, Rudy works his way. He lives in a, a storeroom, according to the movie at least, and he and he he works and he works and he works and he he finally gets into Notre Dame as a student. But now he wants to play football and so then he goes out and it's kind of a joke because he's this little run of a guy and and yet he he's he's on the scout team, which basically means that as a team is preparing for the next rival game, you pretend to be the, the opposing team, and you run their defenses, and you try to get the team ready. And so Rudy literally gives his body to Notre Dame because they beat the heck out of him. I mean, he looks pretty beat up after every practice. And at one point, he confronts this big offensive lineman and says, no, you got to pretend like I'm, you know, I'm USC's, whatever defender and you got to hit me like you would hit him and and so so the guy just like pounds him and it's just it's ridiculous how much abuse poor Rudy takes but it goes on and on until his last game of his senior year being on the scouting team and the team revolts and says unless you put Rudy in the game he you know he you know we're not going to play you know which is kind of hilarious but they all do do that, and, and they let Rudy dress for the game, and he goes, and, he, and the very last play of the game, Jake claims that he was offsides, but, but, Jake, but, but Rudy makes the tackle at the end of the game. It's, it's a, it's a mop-up time, and the game's not on the line or anything, but he makes the last play of the game, and, and they carry him off the field on their shoulders. I mean, you know, what a story of somebody that was so persistent in their goal to, the, to, to do something with all your, your strength, 
with all your energy to it. Now, for me, it's like to play one play for any football team would not have been worth all the abuse, but for Rudy, it was. And we're still talking about him all these years later. Now, when I, I, I think about that Rudy story, because it really, for me, uh, gives me a, a, a contemporary vantage point for thinking about this story of the, the widow and her offering to the Lord. Jesus really nails both clergy and laity in these two couple of verses, doesn't he? It's convicting to clergy who walk around in long flowing robes and enjoy the places of, of prestige and importance and, uh, and, and that's definitely something to be challenged by our humility. But, but also the second part with regard to this widow. Now I have, I'm the rector of a congregation that has a mortgage that I would love to see paid off. So if you write me a check for $50,000, I'm not going to go to you and say, now, is this a sacrificial gift or is this sort of just the, the extra you have left over? And you're, I'm going to say, thank you very much. And as a matter of fact, I would receive any of those checks today that we could, we could retire the debt of the congregation. But, and our vestry would as well. But Jesus doesn't do that. Again, just like we say so oftentimes, Jesus does the unexpected thing in the scenario. Jesus is in the temple, and he is watching the, the, the men and women, the worshipers, not unlike we come into church every Sunday. He's watching them come in, except in the temple in Jerusalem, they would give their offerings before the service started. So some people think you wait and see how good the sermon is, and then you give accordingly. But, but in the Old Testament tradition, it was the, the, the offering was given as they were coming in. And some people came in with large amounts of money, and they, they, they all had coins. There was no paper money, as they say in, uh, oh, brother, we're out there. No folding money. And so, um, so they come in and they bring their, their, their offerings and they put them into the, to the, to the chest, the offering chest that are there. And if they make a lot of noise, you know it's a great big offering. Some people had so much to give that they had a servant come in and bring it for them because it was too heavy because coins are heavy. And so they would put it in and, and, and it would clank at the bottom and make a big noise. And then... So Jesus is there and he's watching. He's, he's just people watching. And he, he notices that these wealthy people come and they bring these extravagant offerings. And then he notices this widow that we see there in verse 41. And she comes, but she doesn't have much money at all. As a matter of fact, she has two small copper coins. We say the mite, the widow's mite. And if you've ever been to Israel, they, they actually, they're fairly common. Actually, you know, like pennies. You know, and you see them all over the place in shops and things, and you can buy them for not very much. But they're just little tiny copper coins. They would have made no noise whatsoever when they hit the bottom of the offering chest. Jesus watches the wealthy put in their large sums and watches the widow put in her, her small sum. And, but he notices. He notices her. He sees her. She's not invisible to Jesus. And Jesus commends her. He doesn't do what we would do. He's like, thank you for that large gift. 
you know, oh, and bless you, sister, forgiven. He, he, he commends the poor widow. And what he says is so profound and clear, it, it won't take long to talk about, but, but I want us to pause there and contemplate what he says. He, says. he says, look, look at all these wealthy people. They contributed out of their abundance, out of their surplus. I don't know about you, but I mean, how do you, how do you give unto not only the church, but to charitable things? How do you give unto the work of Christ in the world? Is it, well, what's left over? For some people who make a lot of money, what's left over is quite a lot. Jesus says they give out of their abundance, but she has given out of her poverty. Out of her poverty. In other words, out of her need, out of her lack, she has put in everything, all that she had to live on. Now, this widow obviously is, is, does not have uh, children. She's got no one to take care of her. We don't know anything about her, really, except that she's a widow with only two little mites, two little coins to, to contribute, and that's all she's got, which means that there's not any back supply there. She likely can make the same amount the next day. This was probably the, the wage of a very menial task laborer in the society. So tomorrow she can get another two mites, but that's all there is for today, and yet she has given everything. Jesus commends her not for the size of her gift. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even really focus on the money as much as he focuses on the state of her heart. This widow is giving the totality of herself. C.S. Lewis wrote somewhere, I couldn't find exactly where the quote, but I know this quote. He, he says, we, 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 th- we hope that when it comes to how God deals with us, that he will be sort of like paying our taxes. And we hope that once all of the taxes are paid, all the bills are paid, all the things we owe, that there'll be a little bit left over for us. But, but C.S. Lewis says, but that's, that's not the way God deals with us. God doesn't just want our money, or a part of us. He wants the totality of us. He wants us to surrender ourselves completely to him. And then out of that total place of surrender, God gives back to us. The biblical understanding of stewardship is that we don't say, well, God, 90% is mine and 10% is yours, but we say, Lord, 100% is yours. Without you, I wouldn't have the mind to do the work I do. I wouldn't have the physical strength to do the work I do. I wouldn't have the means. Without you, Lord, I I wouldn't live in a country where I have been able to prosper so well and give back to others. So, Lord, it's, it's all yours. And then the Lord says, now you take this part, and, and that's whatever the Lord tells you, and you buy a house with it, and you care for your needs for it, and you do minister to your family with it, but we, we have it as a stewardship of, to, to the Lord, not as, well, Lord, this part's mine, and this part's yours. That's what the story of the widow tells us. Jesus commends to us this example of this poor woman who goes all in with God. 
You see, the, the process of discipleship in our lives, as I've said over and over again, but it's just because it's the truth, is this process of learning to trust God with every aspect of our lives. See, the reality is, if we're only giving the surplus, the abundance, the over and above, after we've done everything we need to, the reality is that Jesus understands is that it's because we're fearful of other things. And we're giving most of ourselves to other things. The Lord says in the process of discipleship is about learning to trust him with our our wealth, our relationships, our pride, our reputation, our future, our children, our sexuality. Every aspect of our lives, the Lord is saying, trust me with this. You can trust me with this. The reality is that we're all so close, so very close to a place of total disaster. I mean, really, right? I mean, we could have a medical need that would cause us to be bankrupt. We could, we could have a, a personal tragedy in our family that would call us to be emotionally and mentally just bankrupt. We could have all sorts of things happen to us. It's, it's a fallacy to think that somehow we can hold on to these things and, and, and invest in them and neglect our relationship with God. God says, the widow has done the, the righteous thing. She's completely trusting in God for her needs. Now, the good news is that we have a God who knows the things that we're holding back. You see, we can, we can be like the, 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 the wealthy at the temple, and we can be putting in, but it's just our surplus. It's our over-the-top. It's the cream, but it's not really sacrificial for us. We can do that, but, but, and we can give the perception to other people that, that well, I'm, I'm all good. No needs here. We walk in on Sunday morning. You know, we, we look like we got our act together. Yeah, work's going good. Home life's good. Friendships are good. I'm doing well. But it's, it's a facade. And we pray and we hope that people don't see through, that we, we're barely holding it together, Right? Or we can be like this widow who says, this is all I've got, but I give it to the Lord. You see, the other side of it, yes, the the conviction is to say, are we giving God's things sacrificially or are we only giving God what is surplus? You know, Lord, I've got an extra day. I got a few extra hours. You know, what, what can I do for you? I, I've got this afternoon, some things canceled, and I've, something's opened up in my calendar. Can I help you, Lord, here from, I really need to be done by five, though. Can we make this something that I can start about three and be finished by five? Is that their attitude? That's the, that's the conviction on that side. But there's, there's the other side of this as well. It's to say that, that the widow puts all in unashamedly. This is all I've got. Are there times when you are, are trying to serve the Lord and you think, man, I, I am not the best Bible teacher or I am not the best servant. I'm not the most patient person. I, I don't know the answer to all the questions that person is going to ask me. I don't know that I have the energy 
to watch a room of kids for the next hour. Whatever it is, you say, you know, this is all I've got, and it really feels as if it's not enough. Well, hear the positive side of the widow story. The Lord commends her, not for what she has, but for her willingness to give of herself completely. She gives all she has, and it is pleasing to the Lord. So we play this game of comparison, and, and, and we think that we have to be as good as this person or do as much as that person, and we get beat up with all sorts of shame and guilt because we aren't as good as that person or we're not as great a Christian as this person or we, whatever it is. And, and, and yet, what does Jesus tell us? He says, give to me what you have. I will use it. Oh, wait a minute. We've heard that before. That's the, that's the boy with the fish and loaves, right? And yet we go, no, I can't do ministry because I'm not fill in the blank. What about the widow? What about the boy with the loaves and fishes? The Lord is saying to us, what you have to offer, offer. Let me use it. It will not go unnoticed. Jesus Christ, who gave all for us, calls us to give all to him. He is the place we can trust ourselves. We don't have to hide and pretend as if we have enough or we got it together. With Christ, we can say, Lord, it is not enough, but this is what I have. And we give it to him, and he does something incredible with it every single time. Regardless of how much you have, I challenge you to begin to think in terms of giving sacrificially. Do you remember the Old Testament story where David is about to bury one of his his wives? And I think I've got the story. This is is actually not in my notes, but it just seems like such an important story. It might have been Jacob. It's either David or Jacob. Anyway, the point is that somebody offers the person free place to do his burial. It sounds like Jacob, actually. And, 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 and basically somebody says, look, I want to, you know, you're such a man of God, I want to give you this plot of land so that you can bury your wife. And again, I'm sorry, but it's, it came to my mind. It's per- but, but if it's Jacob or David, but whoever it is, I think it's Jacob. Jacob says, no, I will not give to, no, it's, this is David, actually, different story. But here's the punchline. David says, I will not give to God something that costs me nothing. It's, it's about, the, it's about the, 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 actually the place where the temple will be built in Jerusalem. Now, I, now it's coming back to me. So. But I, I, love that, I love that story. That, that's always been convicting to me. I will not give to the Lord something that costs me nothing. Friends, too often times in our culture, in the Christian veneer of our culture, we don't offer God things that really cost us anything. And so our faith means little to us because it costs us so little. I want to be like the widow. I want to stand 
vulnerable before God and say, God, this is all I have, but what I have I offer to you. And I trust you. And I pray, Lord, you'd meet my need and that humbly through my giving to you, I might meet the needs of others. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.